Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. And welcome to another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I'm your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of DrBarryPierre.com, as well as the CEO of Pierre Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself with better health with the number one podcast of patient advocacy, affirmation, and education. This week, we are talking about the coronavirus, and I know you guys are seeing a lot of numbers being thrown out there. Um, if you follow me on my Facebook page and my YouTube page, you know I just uh, recently dropped a video titled Two Million and Counting, meaning that here in the United States, for my United States listeners, uh, we crossed the two million mark as far as the number of confirmed cases of the coronavirus here in the United States. And there's a lot of people who are concerned and surprised by that number, but I have someone who isn't, right? I have Belton Showell, who is an epidemiologist with an MPH in epidemiology and a minor in infection prevention control from Drexel University, Thornside uh, School of Public Health. He currently works as an epidemiologist at the Navy and Marine Corps Public Health Center uh, in the Epi Data Center. And some of his day-to-day work includes him writing SAS code to analyze data and answer questions pertaining to health outcomes based on a myriad of exposures. He also writes uh, reports on these findings, uh, whether it be weekly, monthly, or even annually, and helping to look for everything from occupational exposures to incidents of infectious disease cases that fall within the CDC's mandatory disease reporting guidelines. And guess what disease falls under these guidelines? You bet it, the coronavirus, guys. So I figured, let's get someone who knows the numbers, who deals with the numbers, who works with the numbers, to really tell us what these numbers mean, right? Like, what does it mean to have over 113,000 deaths, right? What does it mean to have over 2 million cases in counting? And what does all of these states that are reopening up like business is normal. What does that mean for you, uh, the general public, especially for those in the lunch link community who listen to us faithfully? So let's get ready for another amazing episode. And he's going to say some things that are really going to shock and surprise. And in fact, uh, one one of the statements like caught me speechless uh, for a few seconds on a podcast. So I definitely uh, can't wait for you to get and check out this episode. Like always, if you have not had a chance, make sure Leave your five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Drop me a comment to let me know what you think about the episode on Apple Podcasts. It is such an amazing, amazing process uh, going to you guys here with the coronavirus and talking about, uh, you know, how we can educate ourselves here in the Lunch Learn community. Let's get ready for another amazing episode here on the Lunch Learn with Dr. Barry. This podcast is sponsored by the Lunch and Learn Community Merchandise Store, living out the motto, empower yourself for better health. At the store, you can get your favorite t-shirts, coffee mugs, even wristbands, and more. For a limited time, you can get 10% off your next purchase using the coupon code EMPOWER10. That's EMPOWER10, E-M-P-O-W-E-R-10. Just go to shop.drbayerpr.com to pick up your purchase and get 10% off today. And remember, 50% of your purchases will be donated to the Five Star Scholarship Foundation, a nonprofit organization for high school students. All right, Lunch and Learn community, you just heard an amazing introduction from a good friend of mine, uh, practically uh, considered family, who is really going to be you know, educating us. Obviously, I know you guys have probably been inundated with coronaviruses and the discussion of coronavirus. Every time you turn around, you read a blog, you listen to a podcast. Um, but I really want us to kind of understand what the numbers actually mean. So I figure, you know what, let's get an expert who can actually tell us, right? Because a lot, there's a lot of numbers floating out there. And I really want, especially in the Lunch Learning Community member at Power Yourself for Better Health, the goal is to understand how can I take this information I'm getting and be able to apply it and then make sure I'm doing better. So, uh, Belton, thank you for joining the podcast this week. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you uh, reaching out to me to kind of get my perspective on things. So just for those who, because I have a lot of folks who typically do it, you know, get past the introduction. They want to get right into the main, uh, you know, uh, meat of the episode. Um, tell them a little bit about yourself. Maybe something that maybe not even intro, but just like who you are, what you do, 
uh, and, and why did I feel like you were the person I needed to bring on today? I mean, I honestly asked myself why you were tapping. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, me, I am an epidemiologist by day and an entrepreneur by whenever I'm not clocked in. Um, so I know you've seen uh, Dr. Barry's beard. So clean and unshaven, y'all. Clean and unshaven. A little bit of it goes towards our products. Um, so essentially, that's, yeah, that's my life. Epidemiology and men's grooming, beard care. Tell us about yourself and as the epidemiologist. Like what, like for, you know, those who may not know, again, obviously those who know, you know, if I was in the lunch line community, you know, um, uh, I got a master's in public health, right? Uh, my emphasis is on pr program evaluation. What is an epidemiologist for like the, you know, the lay person maybe just passing on? So an epidemiologist is someone who studies disease. And the way that we study disease is we study, you know, incidence, prevalence, and, you know, different rates that are found in, through like data manipulation and running different type of analyses. So as, as, a, as a physician, obviously, you know, I have a, a key role when we're, we're talking about the coronavirus, when we're talking about the, the pandemic, um, as far as kind of taking care of patients. But um, what, what do you feel public health's role is uh, in this whole thing, right? Again, um, I kind of, I started, you know, the first, one of my first video series, I started in saying the coronavirus, the public health crisis. Like I didn't even like point it to them. And this was in March. Um, what, what do you think public health's role is in all of these things kind of going along associated with COVID-19 and the coronavirus? So what our role in theory, like what it's supposed to be, is we're supposed to be at the forefront, you know, leading the efforts. And what we're seeing during the pandemic is, one, public health is grossly underfunded. And two, um, it's underprepared because there's a lot of federal and local health departments now that are scrambling to, you know, bring on more epidemiologists to kind of try to make sense of the data that they're collecting from different facilities in the day-to-day. -day. So without having those two aspects, it's kind of hard to really gain an understanding of what is happening and make sense of the data that you're gathering. Like, I know that the people that are out there, um, you know, in the field that are doing the testing, that are, you know, screening people and have all the hands-on approach, like they're working tirelessly. But if you don't have anyone that's on the back end that can really look into and, you know, examine the data and make sense of what they're seeing without any biases, you really can't fully control the pandemic, which is what we're seeing. And what I love, I love what you talk about, especially as far as being able to take the information that we're actually grabbing and do something with it. As, as a physician, uh, in, my, in my physician role, um, patients come in, patients get diagnosed with the coronavirus, COVID-19. Uh, there's some things I do to treat them. Uh, but what typically happens is, again, they, they kind of get earmarked, hey, you have coronavirus, you're this person here. And we're getting, especially in the state of Florida, we're getting a lot of this information um, and I think you said it best that we don't really know what to do with it uh, to the point where numbers are coming out and, you know, people are being scared. People are being frightened because they just have no clue. They just see all of these patients being tested, patients being confirmed and false positives and false negatives and all these things that are, I'm almost sure are new to a lot of different people. So I love the fact that you really said that, which I, again, I 100% agree with you, that they should be right at the the front front and center right even again even before the physicians right like i said uh, i can treat all day but if i don't know what i'm doing with the people i'm treating or one more importantly how can i i don't want to say prevent but kind of stave off and kind of help deal with those numbers uh there's really nothing i could do as a physician so i, I definitely love the fact that um you, you feel and again I, which i totally agree with that uh, we should be at the front and you really touched on some very strong points the fact that unfortunately we're underprepared um, you know, for a variety of reasons, um, we're understaffed, underfunded. Uh, so even if we want to, right, especially in your position, even if we want to be able to kind of deal with the numbers, uh, we're, we're not even unable, we're unable to do so right now. Yeah, because I look at things, like, from our perspective, so, like, our job is to make sense of things, like, point blank, that's it. So a lot of times we're looking at things from the 10,000-foot view. When you, as a physician, you're looking at 
like ground level, you're one-on-one with people. So we're taking all of your combined one-on-ones with every other physician and, you know, um, facility nurse practitioner, whoever's seeing these patients. We're, we're taking all of that data and combining that to kind of get the bigger picture. Like, what are these pockets telling us or what is this, this area? What is this city telling us? And we, we translate that, you know, using different equations, um, some different statistical methods in order to really delve into, you know, what's happening and provide the statistics and, and the numbers that people, you know, use as talking points. And you see like, um, like a rate of 25 per 10,000 or something like that, just throwing something out there. So it, it really shows why accurate reporting is important to, in this current pandemic, because you know any discrepancies between the data and actuality, it can one you know cost lives, and any one life lost is too many, and two it can cause a distrust between public health professionals and the public, which is another thing that we're seeing because you, you have a lot of um, fake news and. I guess to, to throw it out there and people yeah. using it, <laughs> it, it may have, you know, seen, but they don't fully understand to try to drive home a point that isn't factual and it doesn't really make sense in the scientific sense of things. It's, I mean, one thing, obviously we're both, we're both on social media, uh, especially Twitter. Twitter is a, Twitter is one of my favorite social media platforms. Uh, one, because of the, the immediacy of the news that we receive. And just the ability to kind of be able to kind of reach out, talk to a lot of different experts in many different fields. But of course, there's a lot of there's a lot of non-experts uh, also on a lot of our social media platforms. Everyone's was an expert. Um, here. What do you mean? Right, right. So as as especially as epidemiologists, right? Um, what are some of the you know the more common things that may have kind of hit your timelines, but or that you might have scrolled by where you're like, oh, like no, like that's that's definitely not what you're supposed to take, especially as a numbers guy and as a person who like, no, 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 this is the facts. Like, I don't, I, there's, there, there really is no gray area when I'm dealing with, because that, that's what it sounds like for you. There's no gray area. I'm just, this is what the numbers, this is what the numbers tell me. Um, what are some of the common, like, misconceptions that you're seeing really associated, especially since March, kind of associated with the coronavirus and the pandemic and everything? So I know that you saw this, because I, I remember tweeting, I don't know if you saw my actual tweet. Um, there's been, there, well, initially there was a lot of, um, coronavirus, like COVID nineteen, is not affecting Black people. Yes, like, we, yes. we are somehow immune, <laughs> and now we're seeing that it's the exact opposite. You know, due to the health disparities that are already present, um, you know, pre-existing conditions and access to care and other things that really hit our communities hard. We're seeing that the coronavirus, uh, COVID nineteen, is following the same trend, and it's hitting us harder than it's hitting other communities. So that that was the, I guess the big thing. Cause I, I remember when that, when I first saw a tweet like that and I remember saying, I want to see the data. Like I need access to that data because at the time I wasn't sure if they were, you know, recording race or, you know, social, socioeconomic status as, um, something when they were you know gathering their information and, and presenting you know the incident cases so i felt like that was something that's very important because if you have these misconceptions you're going to have people that are not following the guidelines because it's like hey it, it can't happen to me so why do i have to participate in this you know well it's interesting and I, i'm not sure especially for and you you might have a little bit better preview uh purview is that initially they weren't necessarily telling us about the race and the socioeconomic status. Um, so I'm not sure if it was that they were collecting it, but they just weren't necessarily publishing it, or they, I'm just, I have to assume that, I just have to pray that they were collecting it and just weren't publishing it. Now, was there anything different on your end where you were you noticing that there were like just certain factions that just were just straight publishing numbers, but wasn't giving, especially the African-American one? Because I saw that and I'm like, first of all, I remember I was, I was literally taking care of patients, African-American patients uh, at the time. Who had COVID? And I'm like, uh, guys, no, no, this, this, no, don't, don't believe that, please. I, like, I, like out, outside of HIPAA, I promise you, this is not true. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I didn't see anything like initially within the data and the way that it was reported. I didn't see anything that 
show that they were even, you know, recording or reporting the race of um, the people that were, you know, cases or infected or, you know, potential cases. Not initially. I know that, you know, a month or two in, we started to see it more and more. And I'm not sure if that has to do with, you know, recognizing the areas, like, you know, especially in New York City, the areas that were hardest hit and, you know, kind of taking that broader view to break down who lives in that area or if they did in fact have that information or started recording that information. What's interesting, especially when we, when they first kind of started out um, with, even before they were calling it a pandemic, right? But once it really hit home, like, no, this is um, here to stay. A uh, very common term that we heard a lot, uh, especially when they were discussing quarantining people, keeping people in the house, curfews and everything else, uh, was this, was this um, phrase of flattening uh, the curve. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, especially from an epidemiological standpoint, what that, like, what that even means and, you know, at least the, the level of importance of it, the, the quote unquote flattening of the curve, especially from a, from a public health and epidemiological standpoint? Oh, definitely. So I guess I'll go from the beginning. Like, essentially flattening the curve, it is looking at the epi curve, which shows us, you know, incident or new cases over time. So the idea of flattening the curve is to use, you know, different measures of intervention, such as social distancing, masking, um, et cetera, in order to quell the transmission and reduce the number of incident cases that we see each day or whatever the reporting period is. Like in this case, it's, it's a mandatory reported disease, so it's each day. And the idea is to use these methods to reduce the new transmission or the incident cases so that in actuality, looking at the curve, if you don't have the same number of new cases each day, it's going to start to go down, down, down. And then it gets to the point where you're either um, having the people that are, you know, quote unquote quarantine, they're not being infected. Um, those that are infected and diagnosed begin to recover, or you do have, you know, the extreme, like the sad cases where people do pass on. But it's like this, the idea of, you know, stopping the transmission or slowing it enough that the cases begin to decline and it flattens out so that there's no new transmission. It, as a, and I, I think you, you kind of touched a little bit on it. Um, the fact that we, you know, we do report new cases on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, like, what, what do you feel about that, right? Because I've, I've gotten kind of different vantage points um, I've had I've heard people say, well, that's more of a scare tactic. I've heard people say, well, like that's the only way we can really uh, keep track. Um, and again, I'm not, you know, advocating that they should just give us numbers once a week. But like, what do you feel about just being able to have like daily numbers um, and all these kind of stats? Like, again, especially when you start talking about numbers, people sometimes get overwhelmed. But obviously, uh, and you guys just feel like this is like everything to you. Um, like, is, are you more of a, yes, give me the numbers, give me, give it to me every day. I need everything I can do because that's the only way I can work. Are you, or, or is having, you know, maybe once a week or like, cause that's the argument I'm getting. Like we're, we're getting too much information now is, is what I'm hearing. Well, I can't, you can't even really say that it's too much information because people still aren't, you know, believing what it says. So for me, I love to see the numbers every day. Johns Hopkins has a really great um, site that they created and it has all the cases that come in that are reported and it shows you, you know, day to day. I think they update it every few hours actually, but it, it gives you real time data to allow you to see not only the US, it, you can see state by state, but you can also see other countries and international to, write it, to really get a, a sense of the pandemic it's a pandemic so it's it's worldwide so i i think that seeing the data day to day is a great thing because it really allows us to better understand what is happening and we can recognize the trends but it just the one thing about it is in a lot of cases it does take like the trained eye to really be able to dissect and digest what the graphs are telling us because you can't just really always take it for face value or for what it is you have to understand like the deeper trends and things that are happening 
And, and speaking of kind of deeper trends, um, even now, uh, and again, I'm not sure, uh, and again, I, and I definitely want you, want you to touch on it a little bit later as far as, you know, kind of where we're at now. Um, but, you know, now this, this phrase of kind of contact tracing, like, okay, we've, we've gotten to the point where, because again, for those who may not know, let's like me, depending on when you listen to this, we've crossed the 2 million mark, um, you know, early, earlier in the week or the, the week prior. Um, so there's a lot of people uh, confirmed to have this virus. Um, and, and now the discussion is uh, contact tracing. Can you tell people what that is and why that's even important, especially uh, in the public health realm? Sure. So contact tracing is exactly what it like sounds like, exactly what it says. So it's when you identify either a case or a suspected case and you track their contacts. You go back through, you know, the incubation period for COVID is like 14 weeks. So you want to get the idea of where they have been and who they may have come in contact with throughout that period of time. Every time they've gone out or, you know, to the store, wherever they've gone, you want to know where they've gone. And then it helps us to understand if their um, infection came from one of the locations that they were at. And by tracing, you can identify other cases who they may have been exposed to while at that place and tie those together. And it kind of creates this big web of, you know, who's been where, who they've come in contact with, and it really begins to show you like the the trend of the transmission. So for for knowing where it started, right? Because I remember obviously when we first started, a big question that we would have for the patients is, oh, have you traveled anywhere? Like have you have the been have you been to China? Like that was a like 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 first of all, lunch alert to me, I just want to tell you the the way we treat treat patients now. Uh, versus how we used to treat them in March. It's so vastly different um, in regards to what questions I would ask and you know what 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 even medications I'd put you on if you ended up in a hospital. Um, but like I, I like now how now you're saying like no we need to find out if you went to a certain restaurant we need to find out who you've been with because uh, when I when I think about contact tracing like I remember as a physician literally our only you know way in was like have you traveled anywhere right like that was literally our question like, oh have you traveled and it was, yes, no, yeah, I had a friend who, like, that was our only question. Uh, but this seems to be going a little bit deeper um, as far as, you know, making sure, like, who are your points of contacts? Where were you at? Now, is there any downside to it? Because obviously, me and you, we both, we both follow some conspiracy theorists as well um, uh, with, uh, within social media as far as contact tracing. Like, do you see, from a public health standpoint, a, a downside, right, to being able to kind of trace our steps? So, to so from a public health standpoint, no, like all data to us like is is great. Like it's the, the more data we have, you know, the more we can make sense of things. But from a personal privacy standpoint, yeah, that's that's a big problem because I remember seeing something that Apple was trying to develop something where they can track people by their movements with their their iPhones and you know the different towers. So you know, giving that level of data it really hinges on your privacy. So it's, it's trying to find the balance between what's good for public health and what's good for like, your privacy. And, and we, we've talked about that a lot um, and the importance of it. Now, well, so of course, again, like I said, because I, I already know I'm going to have some members ask me like, well, well, Dr. Barry, how am I supposed to know that the data they're giving us, right, is even correct? Um, again, and, I, and I'll, obviously I'll talk from, from a Florida perspective, uh, from a Florida perspective, uh, there's been some disagreement, right, on the number of cases reported uh, that, you know, our, our official Florida website, uh, Florida, I think it's Florida COVID-19 or Florida something, I'll put it in the show notes, um, as far as the state's coronavirus website uh, versus like this former scientist's website, like there's, there's discrepancies. So how do you deal with that? Like, again, as a physician, I'm one-to-one, right? I'm just taking care of the patient who I got around on. That's the patient I'm going to take care of. But you're the person who has to deal with uh, th this data, right? And deal with the fact that you may not necessarily be getting all of the data. Like, how, how difficult does that make your job? I mean, 
it does make it difficult, but we can't make up data. So we really have to just present what we're given and make sense of that because that kind of gets into, you know, how the whole, like the Wakefield case where he was falsifying the report because he had outside interests that were, you know, paying him. And now there's the whole anti-vaxxer movement because he made this correlation that was later, you know, retracted, but it was false. So it's, it's trying to use what we have that's actual data and keep it honest and just keep it as pure and scientific as possible. Would you, and, and you know, I love, I love that you touched on that because again, when I talk about how we, we treat people much differently now than before. Um, there's a medication we used to always give patients in the beginning. Uh, it's a very, actually a very popular medication for patients who have rheumatoid arthritis, um, Plaquenil. Um, and there was a study out, I forget, I wanna say France or Italy, um, kind of published it and said like, no, like you, this is the medication you have to give your coronavirus patients. Um, and of course, what do we do? Because everything's new, we gave we gave everybody that medication, only to find out later on, right, that you know what that data was wasn't as good as you know projected. Uh, and fortunately, if it, 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 we took it out, not even I want to say fall out of favor, we snatched it uh, out of favor and and don't prescribe it. So um, I I always get that question, especially for people um, who I don't want to say are opponents of you numbers guys, right? Um, uh, people who just feel like, well, they could be telling me anything, um, and like, what? How? Like, yeah, that's right. He 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 does what he does with the numbers, right? But if the numbers are faulty, how can I even believe him? And then that puts that distrust uh, in you because they feel like you're the one who led them astray when it was really the numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a slippery slope because yeah, we we get all this data and all these numbers but we're not the ones collecting it. So how, if it's, if it's a person that's collecting and inputting all this data, how can we really be sure that it's 100% accurate? So it really makes things you know, difficult, but at the same time, our job is to you know, re report the facts based on what we have, and that's all we can do. And and kind of tying in, especially especially our initial discussion as far as kind of the flattening of the curve, and you know the reason why we kind of went on quarantine, the reason why conferences were closed, and you know sports, you know industries were shut down. Uh, this this onus of flattening the curve, and now you're starting to have states open up again, right? So as as the as the public health official here, like what, what do you think about that, right? Like what and what do you think that like holds for you? Um, I, I can, I, and I will kind of talk about my thoughts of what I'm already starting to see, but like, I definitely want to know from a public health perspective, like, like, what do you think is going to happen now uh, that the states are starting to open up again, really across the country? Um, I think it's tricky because, you know, we've seen some states that have, you know, possibly flattened the curve, but they then later had huge jumps in cases once they've opened back up. Like we've seen, um, you know, pockets in Arizona, Texas, Florida. And like Arizona, for example, they had a huge increase in new cases as soon as they opened back up, like maybe two weeks after. And I saw a news conference where the director of their major hospital system was, she was very concerned. She was talking and saying that the same thing that they initially came out with, you know, if we don't quote unquote flatten the curve, then our hospital is going to be overrun and we're not going to be able to handle all the people that are presenting with this illness. So if they don't have the capacity to handle these new cases, it, it makes it difficult because you take Florida for another example. Now, you guys have been opening up and it's pretty much back yeah. to over there. <laughs> We're seeing increases in cases since they've opened back up, but they're turning a blind eye to it for some reason. And if this continues, it can end up being worse than it initially was. And Wow, okay. The thing with viruses is that they don't respect these man-made borders that we have. So if you open a state and all the surrounding states are closed, it, it goes to kind of what um, Governor Cuomo was saying about New York. And he was talking about if he closes New York State and Connecticut and New Jersey stay open, his residents 
aren't going to stay in New York. They're going to go, you know, visit family or we want to have, have a night out. So we're going to go to a bar in New Jersey, a bar in Connecticut. And then they come back home and they were in contact with someone who had COVID-19 and now they have it. So they're coming back into the city or wherever they live in New York and say they go to work or, you know, they run to the grocery store. They're potentially spreading what they've gotten from this next, from this other state to their state, which is going to, you know, create more cases within New York. So the idea of closing some states and keeping some open, it really doesn't do what people think it does because we travel so much more than people have in previous generations. Like people always want to reference the food pandemic of 1918, but travel wasn't as prominent as it is now. Everyone didn't have a car. Um, everyone didn't have you know access to flights the way that they do now. So it really kind of shifts your, your, your train of thought because it's like, well, this, this state's open. Why can't we be open? It's, it's not that bad. So you get the whole argument where, you know, states are reopening, it's not that bad when in fact, yes, states have seen, you know, um, what we, in some states, like what they would identify as like a flattening of their curve. But then you have the other states that are seeing increases after they've opened. So it's, it's kind of, it's really, it's really tricky, but it's, it's not at the same time if we you know, follow the public health guidelines that we have put in place and it's frustrating. What's, what's interesting, especially, and I, and I, and I do want to ask you, because I, I definitely want to get your perspective on it, is, is, the, is the, the rise, right? Like the, the, the number of new cases and the, the recent like non-flattenings of the curve. Is this something that we could have predicted with our, our initial numbers, right? Is this, like, is, should this be a shock to us that as we open up, more cases and more deaths are happening? Or is, is, was this, uh, was this especially from a data standpoint, was this more of an anom anomaly uh, in, in that regards? Well, there was always the talk about, you know, the quote unquote second wave. And it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to say, but you have to identify the point in which the first wave has ended. Mm. So if the first okay. wave never technically Let, let's let's ended, talk about it. Let's talk about it. If that first wave never technically ended, then is this really a second wave or is it a continuation of that first wave? It's just like a greater peak or or another peak. Ooh, that's what, a okay, very good question. What Ooh. point at what amount of time or you know what level of incident cases defines the quote unquote flat part of the curve. So I think, I think that's a big question that we have to ask ourselves. It's like, okay, so where did this first wave end? Has it ended? And is this truly a second wave or is it just a continuation of what we've been seeing? And it's just, you know, sparking now because everyone's in contact again. Wow. Okay. That's a, oh, okay. So now I must, um, huh. Uh, I'm, I'm stunned a little bit. Cause that is a, I, I never thought about it in that sense. Like, did we ever actually end um, the first wave? That's a very good question. Very, very good question. Okay. All right. Wait, what do you, do, do, now do you, now, now, especially in your state, like, do you, do you feel like your state like ended that? Like I have my, I have, I'm biased. Uh, against uh, Governor DeSantis, um, so I don't. I don't want to speak from. I feel like I'll be speaking from bias and not necessarily the numbers standpoint. Um, but like, do do you feel like your state and like like had the flattening? Like, okay, yeah, this is the point where it's kind of flat. Um, so if you saw like a secondary bump, like okay, I can understand the secondary break. Or do you feel like you you guys might have still been in that first uh, wave per se? It's so it's really hard to say with us because I live in Virginia. And our cases from the beginning, they haven't really been too high. We've been you know, self-quarantined and we're starting to reopen. So from the perspective of our cases have been relatively low the whole time. So we'd have to really 
like I said before, define, you know, what the, what's the bottom, like, where's our bottom line? And then what would we identify as a resurgence? Now from, uh, oh yeah, that's good. Very good. Very, see, very, see, let's learn community. This is why I wanted to bring the expert on. Cause um, like I said, I'm, I'm stumped as well, because uh, that is a question I'm probably going to be thinking about probably like all this week. Um, you know, where, where, where do we fall? Right. And especially, especially those lunch and learn community members in this, in the state of Florida, um, from an epidemiological standpoint, is there any point, uh, like at least, at least let's, we'll just even go with the United States wise. Is there any point where you're like, from a calculating standpoint, you could be like, okay, if we get to, you know, this number of cases versus deaths, like, I feel like, okay, the, the curve is flat or is this some like really kind of moving goalpost that it really depends state by state, locale by locale. It's definitely a state by state thing because like we've seen, um, you know, decreases in some of the original epicenters, but then new ones pop up in other places like, you know, Texas, like Arizona, when initially you had, you know, New York city was, was a big one and you had New Orleans um, and Louisiana was big. And then, but we also had um, Georgia. So you kind of see like this shift of, you know, these states are starting to calm down, but then these states are picking up. Like, why, why is that happening? So it, it's, it's tricky, but the data, it really tells us, you know, everything, it tells us a lot. It was, it was, it was so funny, I think about, uh, it, was, it was probably a little before more they were, I think maybe even around it. Um, I saw, it was a, a Newsbreak article that popped up on my phone that said that, uh, Palm Beach County, of course, the county I live in, um, uh, was going to be a new epicenter, right, for uh, coronavirus cases and everything else. And of course, at the time, I'm like, yeah, right, you know, we've been good and everything else. And for those who know, especially the state of Florida, the three major counties, um, as far as, you know, COVID-19 cases are Dade County, Broward County, Palm Beach County. We were at third. We were, we were about you know, a little bit, a little bit under 2,000 cases lower than Broward County, who was, you know, was a second place in Dade County, just in a different stratosphere as far as our comparison. Um, and I looked at the numbers uh, Friday. I, I did a, I did a Empower Yourself with Better Health series video Friday, and I was, sh I was shocked because like it was, that was the first time I had looked at it prior to getting on, and we've almost caught up to Broward County, which again, like I, I don't know what's happening. Um, it goes back uh, so again. To the <laughs> It, you have people yeah. that, that live in um, Palm Beach that may work in Broward County or people in Broward County that may travel to Palm Beach for family gatherings or to go to the beach or to go to the store or whatever. So it's it goes back to, you know, people aren't staying in one place. People are able to move freely. So the diseases aren't respecting these boundaries that we have. What, what do you what do you say for someone who's like the, like okay, like you scared me enough, <laughs> like, like like from 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 the public health perspective, uh, even though you guys even though you should be on the for, forefront, you're not on the forefront. Like what can I do, right? Like what can I do from a public health perspective? Because like now I'm scared, uh, because now I don't know um, if I'm in a second peak or the first peak never actually peaked, and like now we're like and and again the reason why uh and community. Um, you know, what he says is so poignant is that like, if you, again, just do a Google search for the past week and you'll see that like a lot of these states that he mentioned, Arizona, Texas, state of Florida, um, there's like a few others, um, are seeing record new highs, uh, than they did during their quarantine phase. They're seeing record news highs on a day. That, so, so right when he said that, I was like, wow, did we, maybe we didn't like hit our peak, like. Like, and again, maybe because, you know, obviously we're quarantined, we're in a house, we have perfumes, all that stuff there. And now that we're not, um, we're seeing all these new cases. So again, that's, so that's why I think that's why that his question, like really, really has shook me because I don't know. Like, I don't know if, if, we're, if, the, if this would have just happened before, but we kind of staved it off a little bit, quote unquote, flattened the curve a little bit. Um, or like, nah, the second wave just happened to be like two weeks after Memorial Day. I, that I don't know. Um, so what, what advice would you give like someone who's like, like, what can I do? Like, I'm scared now. Like, what can I do now? <laughs> I mean, it's, I know a lot of people have to go back to work. So, you know, limit your contact, um, wear your mask. Those are, those are big things. Those are important. Um, yeah, limit your contact, wear your mask and stay informed. I know a lot of the data may be 
you know, tricky or hard to understand. And a lot of news outlets may be misleading people. But the best way to really understand is to educate yourself and, you know, draw your own conclusions and gain your own perspective on what we're seeing and not, you know, what we're being told we're seeing. I think it's, it's two different things that are on two different opposite ends, like of, I guess, the truth spectrum. Like, like the, what you see in the data is essentially for as much as we can handle, like it's the truth, but things mm. may be altered. I, let's not give me, I don't know if, I don't know, I don't know if that, I don't know if that pierced you like it pierced me. He said, what we're seeing is the truth. Like there's, it just is what it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What's it? Men lie, women lie. Numbers don't. Woo! So let's talk, let's to, talk about. It. <laughs> you have to just look at it and and make your draw your own conclusions, but try to look at it with an, an unbiased eye, because a lot of what we're given and presented may have some type of biases. So you know, do your due diligence and really educate yourself the best you can, because it is a, a rather serious situation. And you do want to be as informed as possible. And you know, very good question. Um, I, I just thought of, it's funny. I thought of the question like as you're saying, so, and, I, and I was congratulating myself for thinking of a very good question. Um, one, well, actually, a couple. Um, and from a public health perspective, are those two main cases that you're seeing from your perspective, from an epidemiological standpoint, is that surprising to you? And then two, and this is a question that I'm pretty sure you got. I've, I gotten all the time. Did flattening the curve actually work? So that I think those are the two questions I want to end this uh, before I, you know, and before we kind of talk about you, yourself and you know promoting all that, like like did is from an epidemiological perspective, are you shocked and surprised by the two million confirmed cases? And two, did flattening your curve actually work for us? So I mean, based on the early projections, I'm not shocked at all at the two million cases. I actually um, expected it to be um, a lot higher at this point. Mm. Okay. But who you know, we had the the issues with, you know, access to testing and really the accuracy of a lot of the tests initially and just trying to get that whole thing off the ground. So I think that, you know, we missed a lot of cases, a lot of cases were turned away and it was still, you know, with the with the efficacy of tests, like there were still some that were probably misdiagnosed which goes both ways. Like there were people that were, you know, false positives, false negatives. So it works both ways, but I feel like, you know, those three things kind of impacted the, the numbers, especially in the beginning. And, you know, once social distancing was, well, once social distancing was implemented, um, I do believe that it was working, but there were so many, you know, opposing factors towards you know like 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 dumb people like and we could say it on the lunch and learn podcast there's a lot of dumb people out there um he's not gonna say it because he's a professional um (laughs) but i can say it uh a lot of y'all yeah a lot of y'all were dumb a lot of y'all we just gotta just gotta throw it out there a lot of y'all were dumb um yeah so i'm sorry i just wanted to i just want because i know he's professional so he wasn't gonna say it in lunch and learn community you know how (laughs) i mean we saw early the was it the family in New York City? They had the family dinner, and then they lost a lot of family members because, like, oh well, it's just you know, the twelve, the thirteen of us. We're we're all family, so what what can go wrong? And the extreme happened. So it's just like ignoring the the guide. Like the guidelines are in place for a reason. So you know, ignoring them or having this idea that you're invincible or like this can't happen to me it really undermines the essence of what's trying to be done with these guidelines. So would you say flattening your curve worked? Where, 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 do you, where, do you, where do you fall on that? I think it's too early to tell because, yeah, I really think it's, it's still too early to tell, you know, what the true curve looks like because, you know, we're still in the midst of it. Ooh, he go, he's going he's gonna to write back to it, y'all. He is doubling down and saying, like, you know what, I don't think – I don't think we ever missed the, the first. I don't, I don't think the first one ever ended. That's that's what he's saying, actually, community. I, and I and I'm, honestly, as as I keep on talking, I'm I'm actually agreeing with him. I really I really don't think we 
we finished that first wave. I, and unfortunately, we're going to see uh, over, you know, you know, over this, especially over the summer, uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see some numbers that uh, is gonna be very scary to us. Ah, I love it. Um, again, before we before I let you go, first of all, I just want to thank you for uh, joining the Learn to Learn podcast and really educating us and getting us, uh, you know, getting us on point. Because uh, clearly, um, we're seeing a lot of numbers. You know, we're seeing a lot of scare tactics, right? We're seeing a lot of propaganda. Uh, but you know, as as you said, you're you're a data person, right? So all you can do uh, is work with the data. And if the data tells you something different than someone else is telling you, you got to go with the data. So I definitely appreciate you for jumping uh, and, and joining uh, the Lunch Learn podcast. Well, I thank you for having me. You know, I'm a, I'm a long time listener, so anything I can do to you know help out, support, educate, I'm always here, and I I really appreciate it. A lot of you guys probably don't know, but I've told the story a few times that. When I was actually, you know, applying for graduate school, I reached out to Dr. Barry, and he wrote me a letter of recommendation um, for my graduate program. Like when I went back to school, I was, you know, four or five years out of undergrad, so it was the access to, you know, my previous professors was pretty much like null and void. They weren't going to remember me coming from a big state school, so you know, to be able to reach out to Dr. Barry and, you know, get his you know, recommendation was, it was big and it helped me to get onto my path. So I'm, you know, forever appreciative to him for, you know, um, being a man of his word and, and doing what he says to, you know, uplift, you know, not only the black community, but the, the health, like the health community in itself. So I, I, appreciate, it. Uh, I appreciate it a lot. And let's I didn't even pay him for that. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, de I definitely appreciate it. And like I said, you've always been a hardworking person. So uh, it was very easy, very, like, it was very easy, right? And I was like, yeah, whatever I can do, uh, you know, to, to help further uh, you along your path that, that clearly um, is seeing, you know, some very bright days. I'm pretty sure it's pretty busy days um, during a time like this, but uh, definitely appreciative uh, of your support over the years as well. Um, before I let you go, right, before, because I, I, I think we have to, again, uh, like I always give my, my guests this time, um, but let's talk about the entrepreneurial side, right? Like they, they've, already, they've already been educated. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about um, uh, the business side. Um, and uh, again, I've I'm, I'm been a, a, you know, a, 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 an appreciative customer of uh, Clean Unshaven. Let's talk, talk a little bit about, you know, where, where, you know, where that started, what made you like go in that route and um, you know, how is it doing? And, you know, where can people find your products? Like, let's, let's, this is promo time. Let's, let's talk to them. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you, you're right. You are a, you're one of my first customers. So from that first like batch that I made for distribution, you were one of my first customers. Um, so clean and unshaven is a men's grooming company that I founded in order to, you know, provide clean products, which is, you know, free of any chemicals or additives, and they're all natural. So clean products for the unshaven man. And what it was born out of was, you know, purchasing products from a store and seeing this list of ingredients on the back that I needed like my formal training to understand. Like those, those chemistry classes, those biology classes, <laughs> those came in handy when, when reading the labels to really understand what they were putting in these products. So I stripped it down and I did some research. I did like four or five months of research just to really understand, you know, what can make hair grow, what can, um, you know, keep hair moisturized, how can you mix these things together, what's the you know, proper temperature to heat it to, all these different things, just to, to get the best product possible to, you know, provide you with like that clean look because nowadays things in the office spaces are more open so you can have the full beard but you still want to be well-groomed in the sense that it looks good and that's just that's where my company was born out of clean and unshaven I love it. and how can they find you so my website is clean and unshaven.com and you can find me on instagram i'll send very the the handles and he can put them in in the notes oh yeah it will definitely will be in the show notes um please please support uh if if, if you're, you're trying to grow a beard you got a beard you know someone who got a beard like it's like it's All of that, and, yes. and, and what, what products do we have on there let's just let them know what products you got on there so we have a 
our original, which is the, the mango beard butter. And then we have the mango oil, which is like the favorite. As everyone loves the way that that smells. And then we also have the beard wash and we have some other things in the works. So we're, we're a year in, so we're, we're growing slowly but steadily. So things are, things are good. Oh, love to see it. Love to see it. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, my personal favorite is definitely the beard oil. In fact, now I think about it, I got to order some more. Um, uh, yeah, that's definitely one of my personal favorite ones. I'm like, oh, because it's worse is right when you, you know, especially at the end of the day, you know, you're in the hospital and everything else, right? And then you got to touch your face and it's like, like dry as like sandpaper, right? Like it's one of the worst feelings. So uh, being able to have something to kind of keep it moisturized throughout the day, right? Like it's such a plus, such a plus. Um, and again, obviously, when you go to the hospital, I know you guys are you know, there to get well, right? But you actually want your physician looking good while doing it, right? So that's always a, an important thing for me. <laughs> no, I, I agree, definitely. Especially so, now that you have the full beard. Full beard, ready. Oh, yeah, you know, uh, fortunately, the coronavirus um, has kept me away from my barber uh, for now. Oh, oh, my God, we're going on like four months. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's like four months, man. I'm, I'm bad. My son is bad. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, and what's worse now, like they're like the shop is open again. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I kind of need that first wave of people, cause I, cause I already know what was happening. So I need that first wave of people to rush in, and then I got to make sure my barber is ready and you know masked up. Like I, like we come on. Like I just, I just need to make sure you're prepared. Just as like I'm gonna be prepared when I go over there. Uh, so that's the only reason why I haven't gotten the, the cut yet. Um, so, and, but again, after, after three months, it's, you're not even in a rush anymore. Cause you're just like, whatever. <laughs> like, I look how I look. So it's either accept it or don't. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and what, where is, what is your Twitter handle for those who may want to follow you, you know, get, get, get educated, get, you know, just track you down and, you know, learn from someone as brilliant as yourself. Um, you can follow me at, uh, Velmatic, V-E-L-M-A-T-1-C on Twitter. And Instagram, I'm Velton underscore IV. I love it. Again, uh, Lunch Learning Community members, uh, hope you're hope you're walking away from this episode uh, much more empowered, much more educated, and much more ready to take on the world. Um, because again, it, the world is a numbers game, and you know what better way than to have a numbers expert on here uh, to really try to help navigate us through this pandemic that you guys are living in as we speak. So again, Velton, thank you for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming to the end of the episode. It is yours truly, Dr. Barry Pierre. I want to give my undying thanks to you for your support. Just getting to the end of the episode means that you at least enjoyed today's episode. Hope you were empowered by today's episode. Please remember to share this episode with at least two people that you know that would be greatly affected if they did not listen to today's episode and if you have not already done so subscribe to the podcast leave us a five-star review especially on apple Podcasts or wherever you can leave a review leave a review there because your support is so 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 valuable for what we're doing here on the lynch learn and everything with pierre medical consulting and if you have not done so go ahead and join the listserv to join the listserv is very easy just grab your phone right now i'll pause join the listserv you want to text lunch learn pod this is all gonna be one word lunch learn pod to 44222 and you'll be on the listserv you'll know exactly when new episodes are coming out you'll know about new episodes before they actually come out because i usually tell my listserv members hey this is what i'm working on this are the guests that you should expect to hear for the week on thank you guys you have a blessed day and i'm gonna see you guys next week